Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Genesis chapter 12. We're looking at only one verse, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read from verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11 through to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Before we read that, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. Our Father, we pray that our hearts would be made meek and prepared to receive your word for that which it truly is, the very words of God. Father, may we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and obedient. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 11, starting at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Amen. May God bless his word to us. I guess you would say that until this moment, the book of Genesis has been a book of very good startings and then decline. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were created, as it were, bearing within themselves the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. There was no sin in them at their creation. Though there was the possibility of sin, the possibility of falling from where they had been placed. And as we've studied the book of Genesis, we see that they indeed did fall to temptation. That Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and then shared it with her husband and he joined her in that sin. And from there on in, the decline of humanity began. Even amongst their own sons. One was a faithful worshipper. And one was a murderer of faithful worshippers. And then they had another son and his name was Seth. They had received promises. Though God judged them for their sin, he did promise that the seed of the woman would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. And so they believed the promises. Yet even so, their faith could not stop the decline of humanity. Humanity declined. The judges of humanity were corrupt. They did things that they ought not to do. And God pronounced his judgment. That the desire of every man is nothing but wickedness. And that his spirit will not contest with the spirit of man any longer. And Noah found grace in the sight of God. And with Noah, we have a judgment and a beginning. All the earth destroyed By water, all the earth destroyed by flood. The boundaries which God had set for the waters at the time of creation were were broken 
God himself broke them. God himself sent the waters over all the earth. Yet he saved Noah and his sons and their wives. God saved eight people. He both destroyed, judged and saved, all as it were in the one act. And then within a very short time after the end of the flood, we have a new beginning. God makes the same promises to Noah that he had made to Adam, giving them the same commands. Go out into all the earth and fill it. The earth is yours. Spread out into the earth. But Noah had a son, remember? A son who was in some way perverted, in some way wicked. He looked upon the nakedness of his father and he enjoyed that looking. Evil was already there. Mankind was already declining. Two beginnings, two slides into failure. The Tower of Babel, the desire to build up the religion of man at the cost of true religion, the religion of worshipping the true and living God. And God pronounces his judgment and scatters humanity upon all the, across all the earth, dividing their languages so that the groups or the nations, the, the ethnos, could no longer speak one to another, spread out across all the earth. And you have the decline, as it were, into sin once more. And I just want you to imagine what would have happened if God had simply let these things take what we would call their natural course. What would have happened? Where would humanity be? You see, God had made a promise. Think of this. God had made a promise that there was to be the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. In God's mind, salvation was to be sent to the earth. Mankind was to be saved. We think in terms of time. We think in terms of past, present, future. If um, the Lord blesses my progeny, if things continue as I hope they continue in a way, well, I might have great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Down through the generations, who knows when the Lord himself will return and call an end to that. I have no idea. But I don't know great-great-grandchildren if they are to come. I don't know them. I don't recognise their face. I can't give you their names. I don't know them. If God is to give them to us, I don't know them. But here's the thing. Past, present and future, they mean nothing to God. In time, a man called Abram, who was to receive the promises of God for, human, for humanity, for finite people like you and I, in time, he only existed at a certain time. We would call it the past. Others who came before that would call it the future. In God's mind, Abram was fully, totally and absolutely known. God does not need time to reveal anything to himself. God's knowledge is over and above time. If Abram is real in the mind of God, 
My friends, Abram is real apart from time. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you here? God had a plan for Abram from before the creation of the earth, from before the creation of the universe. When there was nothing but God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in the mind of God, Abram was a known man. But look at the state in which Abram was in. This is the man where the promises of God were going to find their lodgment and their fulfilment. This was the man whom ultimately would be called the father of the faithful. Even people, you and I, whose faith is in God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He's the one in whom we put our trust. And yet even so, we who are the church of God are called by faith the offspring of Abraham. Think of that. But Abram, left alone. Abram, without God, as it were, reaching out and touching that man. What was he? What would he have been? Well, I repeat to you the words that we read in Joshua chapter 24. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. What was he then? What was his family? What was his heritage, if you want to put it that way? He was an idolater. He was an idolater. The, um, the major form of worship, archaeologically speaking, from that region, Ur of the Chaldeans, was um, basically tied to the cycles of the moon, worshippers of the moon, the stars, the sun. He was an idolater. What kind of idolater? I would suggest he's what I would call a God-conscious idolater. A God-conscious idolater. Now, you might say, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, notice in Genesis chapter 11 that Terah, Abram, Lot and their people headed for the land of Canaan. They tried to get there. Looking at Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Okay, what am I taking from that? What am I trying to draw from that? Well, God's promise when one of Noah's sons sinned was that the offspring of Ham who were to become the Canaanites, would be ruled over by the offspring of his other sons, the Shemites. And these people are Shemites. And I don't know whether they received a specific and a particular call from God or whether they just simply had enough of a conscious memory of the preaching and teaching of Noah to know that God had said they would rule over the Canaanites. But 
they went seeking the land of Canaan. And I think they did it because they knew that God had said they would rule over the Canaanites. So I'm calling them God conscious idolaters. A bit like unconverted church members. Let that sink in. A bit like unconverted church members. What would I call an unconverted church member? What would I call an unconverted church attender? A God-conscious idolater. A God-conscious idolater. They have not submitted to the true and living God. They have not cast off that which they put their trust in. They know enough to know that they're guilty, but they have not surrendered nor submitted. And so I'm suggesting that Abram was a God-conscious idolater. And imagine if God had have left him alone in that. What would he have become? Nothing but a deeper and deeper in the religion of idolatry, idolater. You see, my friends, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. God is the only saviour. God is the only one to be glorified in salvation. The works and the power of God are saving works. Don't misunderstand me. Do I admire Abram? Yes, I do. He grows in faith. He grows in godliness. I'm not saying he was ever perfect, but always remember, God calls him his friend and God calls him the father of the faithful. There's much to admire in Abram. But Abram started off an idolater. That's where he was. Ask yourself the question, where would I be if God left me alone? Where would I be if God left me alone? I think you know the answer. You would indeed be some kind of idolater. Everyone's got a religion. Everyone believes in something. If a person is not a worshipper of the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit, that person is in some way or form an idolater. An idolater. Whether their idol is a statue, whether their idol is supposedly the God revealed in Scripture, but they teach and believe false doctrines, they're idolaters. You believe God for who God says he is. You believe in God according to his own revelation of himself or you are an idolater. If God had have left Abram alone, he would have remained in his idolatry. And my friends, I put this this way, so would we. Remember, Abraham is called the father of the faithful. And if you are in Christ, in some way, Abraham is called our father. He's not our father in heaven. Do not think that way. He's not God. We only have one father in heaven. But in scripture, he is called the father of the faithful because we share in the faith of Abram. And the saviour, God incarnate, God, the eternally begotten son of God, remember, to use a scriptural phrase, in his humanity, he's in the loins of Abraham. So, Abram and family, God-conscious idolaters that they were, 
set out for Canaan and did not make it. They got to a place called Haran. If you look on a map of biblical geography, it would appear that they did not head directly for Canaan but got sidetracked by a rather long way. If they were going directly from Ur to Canaan, they would have gone basically just a little bit north of west, pretty much straight across. But they went basically north, just a little bit west of north, and ended up at a city called Haran, and there they went no further. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord, Yahweh, God himself, intervening, God himself getting involved, God himself making a difference. Now the Lord said to Abram, God himself speaking. God himself speaking. God, by the power of God, can speak creatively. My family and I, we were talking as we drove in this morning. And I said to them, you know what a fool is, or at least one kind of fool is? A fool is a person who thinks that by speaking, they can make things happen. A fool is a person who thinks that their words are like the words of God. But this is God speaking. You know, this is the same God who spoke creation into existence. This is the same God who created all things through, for and by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When God says, let there be, there it is. And when Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Well, even the grip of death is broken by the word of God. You see, it's that God who is speaking. And that God speaks to a God-conscious idolater by the name of Abram. He speaks with power. He speaks forth a command. Going with that command is his creative power that enables the obedience to the command. This is a Lazarus come forth moment. It's a similar thing. One who is dead in sin. One who attempted to make it to the promised land and got waylaid. One whose worship is not pure but impure. One who apart from the power of God would have been just another member of a declining humanity. It's the same power, you understand. God said to Abram, with power, with recreative power, an enabling and empowering command. Here's the command. Go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Sorry, I missed a bit. And your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go. Go. It's not just a geographical go, my friends. He has to get from one place to another place. He has to get from Haran to Canaan. There is a geographical go included, but it's not just a geographical go. He had to get his heart out of the grave 
as it were, and into the land of the living. And Abram himself could not do that. What hope is a man of saving himself? Who can pay the cost of a soul? Asks King David in one of the Psalms. It is very valuable. Who can break the bonds of death? Only the God who decreed that the wages of sin are death. Who can awaken the deaf? Who can give speech to the dumb? Who can give sight to the blind? Who can give obedience where once there was disobedience? Go! It's a geographical go and it's a spiritual go. You know, sometimes you might play Monopoly, go past go and collect your $200. God says to Abraham, go. And in saying go, he imparts life. Go. And Abraham hears this go. And he goes. He goes from death to life. He goes from idolatry to pure worship. I'm not saying he was perfect, but I'm saying that God has made the change. He goes from Haran to Canaan. He goes from the land of death to the land of life. He goes from the land of failure to the land of promise. Go! Go, he says. And Abram goes. And look how radical this go is. This geographical spiritual go. The command, go. Three things. Go from your country, or it could say land. Go from your kindred, your family ties. Go from your father's house. Separate yourself from those God-conscious idolaters. Go to the land that I will show you. Go off to the great unknown. There's a theological term, it's called the effectual call. The effectual call. The doctrine is that when God calls a person to salvation, there is power in the call. It's an effectual call. It works. For those who are called according to the foreordained will of God, when they hear that effectual call, though they might try to resist it, Ultimately, they cannot because it comes with and by the very power of God. An effectual call. And when people receive an effectual call to God, come from, to, nothing can hold them down. Nothing can hold them back. Nothing can, as it were, stop them. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's our loss as an Australian society that we've kind of let the bonds of family go. We, we've kind of given up on, on a certain kind of, I'll, I'll use the phrase tribalism, and I don't mean that in any negative sense. 
Throughout my life as an adult, I've often made very close friendships with people of Mediterranean descent. Because there's something that I love about them. They stick together like glue. They get family properties. Generations live together on those family properties. Grandparents, children, grandchildren. They centralise themselves. They get businesses together. And they manage to pass those businesses successfully on and down through the generations. But this spiritual call, I'm not saying that it means that you must deny your family connections, but I am saying that in this instance, that is what Abraham was called to do, to break with the tribalism, to break with the family ties, to break with that which to that point had governed his life, totally governed his life. Go from your country or from your land. It could well mean that his family had set up ongoing business concerns in and around Haran. They had real estate. They had business. They had ties. It was familiar. Terah died in Haran. A member of the family was under the ground there somewhere. They had a connection, as it were, to the land. God says, go from your country, go from your land, go from that which is your comfort zone, go from the place where you have every reason to expect that if you stay, you will receive the full inheritance of your father's goods. Go. Go. Remember the story in the Gospels? Jesus said to take up your cross and to follow him. And one man said, first, let me go and bury my father. He wasn't talking about a funeral in that instance. People, I, I, I've known people who've read that and thought, oh, all he was asking to do was a, to attend his father's funeral. No, what he was saying was, when my father dies, I will receive an inheritance. I want to be around for that inheritance. And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus said, go, as it were, from your land, from your country, from your comfort zone. Go, as it were, from where you expect to receive goods. Go from your country. The call, this effectual call to Abraham Divorce yourself from expectations. And your kindred, cousins, other relatives, extended family, and your kindred. Remember, there's a family religion here. We're told that they served other gods. The comfort of family religion. Now, I'm not saying this to be offensive, and I know it's not going to offend anyone in particular here. But one of the reasons that I, that I simply cannot accept infant baptism is that it tends, in the end, 
to encourage this idea that I'm a Christian because I was born in a certain family. Presumptive regeneration. And I'll tell you honestly, only the very best of Pado baptist or infant baptising reformed ministers teach their doctrine carefully enough to teach against that presumption. Only the very best of them do it. I'm not saying there are none who do it, but only the very best of them do it. Break with the traditions, the religious traditions of your family. Depart from your kindred. Think of what, what's being said here. Become a complete stranger. Become a complete stranger. What's one of the most um, nerve-wracking things that you can do? And I know there are a few people here who can tell me exactly what their experience is if I were to ask them. Go to some place where you are a complete and absolute stranger, where you don't have connections, where you don't automatically have someone to fall back on. For many of us, that experience is starting a new job sometimes. You go to a completely different workplace, completely different work practices. Depart from your comfort zone. Once again, Abram is being told, depart from any worldly expectation. Furthermore, not just your kindred, and your father's house. And your father's house. My friends, at the time that this commandment was given, that was a commandment to radical obedience. Radical. Where does the word come from? It comes actually from the word for root. If someone's a radical, it means they want to tear up the tree, roots and all, and start from nothing. That's what radical means. This is a radical command coming from God. Depart from your country. Depart from your kindred. Depart from your father's house. You can't go back. You can't go back. God is saying to Abram, where you are and what you are is not what I want of you. It is not what I expect from you and it is not what I'm going to permit in one of my servants. You simply can't go back. This, this idolatry that is in your heart must be torn out, roots and all, ripped apart. Now, I keep trying to connect this to our New Testament faith. Because I want you to see the similarities. What did Jesus say concerning family connections? He spoke, for example, of dividing mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, brothers and sisters. He said that the one who cannot hate his father and his mother is not worthy to be my disciple. You see what the call is there. Now, we love our families. I know that you love your families. I love my family. But the call is that unless you love the Lord your God first and foremost and over and above all things, including your family, 
unless you love the Lord your God in that way, you are not worthy to be a disciple. You see the command. Could you make the break, I'm asking you? Could you make the break? The last couple of years, watching sort of the public unfolding of um, cultural Christianity in the USA, have you noticed, have you sort of followed this enough to notice that you'll have some church, some eldership, some pastor somewhere And about five or six years ago, they were saying, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We believe that the only sanctified form of sexual activity is between a husband and a wife, according to the law of God, according to the covenant of God, according to the Holy Scriptures. And then one of these leaders, pastors, elders, whatever, is confronted with a family disaster. One of their children is in some way sexually perverted, is a homosexual, is a lesbian, is a whatever. And have you noticed what they do within about six months of one of their children going public and proclaiming their perversion to the world? Takes around about six months usually. And then they they themselves go public and say, um, you know, I've come to a new understanding of the scripture. And it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me in a different way these days. And that some of these words here in the Bible might not mean what they've always meant. And as long as he's a monogamous homosexual, I think it's okay in the eyes of God. Who am I to judge? Didn't Jesus say that he was going to divide families? Didn't Jesus say that we have to be willing to hate our own families if our own families refuse to follow after Jesus and themselves be disciples? And so I ask you the question, where's your love and what is your love? And what do you love first and foremost? Who do you love first and foremost? Could you make the break if God put you to the test? I've never been put to that test. I don't want to be put to that test. I don't want anyone here to be put to that test. I do not. But understand something. If we're put to that test, God's command is go from your father's house. In other words, put obedience to me above family connections. Put your love for me above your love for blood. Go forth. Go forth. Go from something, says God, and go to something. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. To the land that I will show you. Go forth into the unknown. We don't know the future, though we often take guesses. We don't know much about heaven, though we know enough. We know enough. 
God promises that we will dwell forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, perfected in body, mind and spirit. That's enough. That's enough. I'm sure the new heavens and the new earth in their final revelation will be more beautiful than we can possibly imagine. I'm sure that every day lived in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ will be more joy than we can possibly imagine. But isn't it enough for you and for me that God says we will gaze upon the face of the Lamb and so great will be the light that we receive from him that we won't need sun, moon and stars? It's a land unknown, but it's a land promised by God. And we know that it will be better than anything we can have here in this present age and place. I can think of someone I love. They've, they've lost their spouse. And every time there's a family gathering, they talk about, oh, how so-and-so would have loved to have been here with us. Now, I, I, I think I know what that person is saying. But sometimes I'd like to hear that person say, you know where so-and-so is at this moment? He wouldn't trade it for anything. Because it's so much better there than here. Because we know that that person died in the Lord. We know that that person is with the Lord Jesus even now. He's gone from and he's gone to. From this place, this present evil age, where we're at war with the powers of darkness, to the place where there is no war, where there is peace, where there is rest, true peace, true rest, where he gazes upon the face of his saviour. From to. My friends... The gospel is not preached if it's not preached with the word or the theme of repentance. Repentance from to. It's very good to tell people to believe in the Lord Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he was raised from the dead, that you will find forgiveness of sins in him. All of these things are true. But we must teach people to go from and to. From darkness to light, as the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 26. From works of evil and sin to works of righteousness and faithful obedience. From the vanity and the foolishness of humanity to the life that is purposeful and lived in the sight of God according to the will of God. People must go from and to. There must be repentance. Abram was called to go from and to. And Abraham understood more than the text lets on here. We know that especially from what we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 11. Abram knew that he was called to a promised land, the land of Canaan, where his family had originally set out for. Abram knew 
that God was with him, that God was upholding. Remember, Abram was now a converted man. The effectual call of God had come to him. And anyone who is connected to God through saving faith knows that that connection is an eternal connection. That God, the ruler of all creation, God who created, God who ordained death can also ordain light. Abram was called from disobedience to obedience. My friends, the Christian life, the life that we live, the life that we've been called to, in many ways it's not so different, is it, to the life that Abraham was called to? And where would we be if God did not intervene? And what would we be if God had not effectually called? If you asked me at age 20 about myself, I would have told you that I was an atheist and that I was good enough, thank you. And I would have told you that Christianity was foolishness and that anyone who believed that nonsense was a dimwit because supposedly science had proved it wrong. God called. God spoke. Now, I'm not Abram. (laughs) I'm not called the father of the faithful. And those who are saved are not said to be saved through the promises God gave to to Scott. But in the same way, I was effectually called to salvation. My friends, the life of faith, the life, I'll say, of life, the life of true life, God-given life, the life that is not in slavery to sin and to death, the life that is not vain and futile and man-glorifying and man-fearing, true life, spiritual life, My friends, it comes to us when God calls. When God calls, when God effectually calls. And we're required to leave behind worldly expectations. I'm thinking now from the Sermon of the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Abram was seeking first the kingdom of God. All that was comfortable, all that was to be expected in a worldly way, he left it behind. He had a new light. He had a new guide. He had new power, the power of faith. He had a new mission. Take up the promises of God. He was being transformed. It's funny, his name means great father, wonderful father, a father to be admired. That's what Abram means. But look at verse 30 of Genesis chapter 11. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. 
See, Moses, when he wrote Genesis, he knew how to tell a story. There's a little thing he wants you to hold in the back of your mind. Moses understood about birth and about real birth and rebirth and birth into the kingdom of God. Circumcision of the heart, as he spoke of in the book of Deuteronomy. God takes an idolater named Abram, exalted father who has no children, who has a barren wife. And God says to him, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's an echo there. Go out into the land, fill it. Go out into the land, multiply. And God's called this man who's called a father with a barren wife and no children. God knows things that we don't know. God does things that we cannot do. God grants life where once there was death. Our God is almighty, all-powerful and transforming. And he can take sinners, idolaters, people like Abram and people like you and I, and he can accomplish his purposes and he can carry us through to the promised land, to the fulfilment of all of his promises. And so, my friends, Abram is called the father of the faithful. And we are called through faith, the offspring of Abram, for we share in the faith of Abram, the faith that is born through the effectual call of God, that empowering commandment. Always remember the gospel is actually a command. It is actually a command. We may plead in our humanity We may plead with a person to come to faith and repentance. We may plead. But God has sent forth the word as a command. Repent and believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who are being called, that command is effectual and powerful. And so it falls to us, the inheritors of the promises, to, as it were, relay that command to the world round about us. Repent and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking the forgiveness of sins. Go from death and wickedness and futility. Go to life in the Lord Jesus Christ, obedience to God and eternal life. It's a command from God. My friends... We all suffer, don't we, a lack of boldness, boldness, a lack of courage, a lack of bravery. My friends, pray for courage, pray for bravery, pray that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit. His word conquers. Whether people believe or know or not, his word conquers. God is almighty and all-powerful, And his word will call his people to himself into the land of promise. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I do thank you 
that you have effectually called your people to yourself. And as we consider that which we have seen today, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen and enable us in our walk of faith, in our obedience, to not put our trust in the things of this world, to not put our trust in family ties, to not be imitators of our worldly fathers, but may we be obedient to your will, our heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.